Okay, cool. So a couple of slides first, just to uh, uh, introduce what Gridly is and what the motivations behind it is, uh, and then I'll go into um, the tutorial itself. Um, so firstly, what is what is Gridly? Why build it? And what can you do with it? And why everyone should start using it? I'm biased because I built it, but hey. Um, so there's lots of um, grid world frameworks uh, that have been thrown about uh, quite a lot very recently. Uh, lots of very cool uh, projects um, such as GVGI, uh, MicroRTS, DeepMind 2D Lab, uh, MiniGrid, uh, and there's new ones that are coming out all the time. For example, MiniHack, which was uh, presented at um, or is going to be presented at NeurIPS uh, is kind of like the NetHack um, environment, but um, you can customize the kind of levels and uh, mechanics from the NetHack game. And also Stratego, which is uh, being presented as a tutorial um, today, later on. Um, so, sorry. Uh, things have been laggy. Okay, so Gridly, um, all of these... Um, Environments have uh, lots of benefits uh, and lots of uh, downsides as well. For example, um, GVGI um, is a little bit slow and memory inefficient for reinforcement learning. I mean, it's absolutely great for doing things like tree search uh, and anything where Java is like um, a very fast language to do um, kind of heuristic algorithms um, and procedural content generation and things like that. Um, same with MicroRTS, it's built in Java. Um, uh, apart from the the problem with that one is it's just a single game. Um, so it's like a very simple group world uh, RCS game. Um, and it has a bunch of different levels, but the mechanics are actually fixed. So um, changing the mechanics of the game is actually quite complicated. You have to go into the Java, you have to recompile things um, and all of that. Um, DeepMind 2D Lab um, is very, very fast. Um, so it's written in C++ and has like a Lua scripting, which enables it to be extremely fast um, for prototyping. Um, but it's actually quite complicated to use um, because they don't have much documentation. Well, they didn't um, when I wrote this slide a few months ago. Um, I'm not sure if that situation has changed, but it's, it's quite difficult to understand uh, how to actually use it. Um, and also you have to compile it from source. There's no very easy way to just start using it in Python. Um, Minigrid is one that's used by thousands of people. It's got like nearly a thousand stars on GitHub. Um, it's used in loads and loads of papers at ICML, uh, NeurIPS, uh, and all those kind of things. It's extremely fast and optimized for um, reinforcement learning and has like different visualization modes. Um, but it is written in Python, so the visualization is quite, um, it, it's not particularly interesting. Um, and it's not particularly scalable as well. Um, if you have very large levels, um, then it slows down because the Python processing kind of slows down with the, with the size of the levels. Um, so the motivation behind Gridly is to take the best parts of all of these um, previous kind of grid world uh, environments uh, and make uh, an extremely customizable version of this, which includes single player, multiplayer, uh, and like RTS action spaces, and basically allows people to build extremely uh, optimized um, grid world kind of toy environments uh, for doing reinforcement learning research um, without them needing to think about how to actually optimize or how to actually and build the action spaces and present um, the kind of uh, the data that they would need for reinforcement learning. Um, there's a ton of different features and quite a lot of them I don't have time to go into, um, but I'm going to try and cover a lot of them. Um, so, for example, forward models um, for doing Monte Carlo research or rolling horizon algorithms, 
uh, I'm not going to cover, but um, it does support that. Um, there's OpenAI gym interfaces, which I'm going to cover, um, GP accelerated rendering, which I'll cover because it's just it just happens. You don't even have to think about it. Um, it's cross-platform, so it will work on Windows, Linux, uh, and what's the other one? Mac. I'm using Mac. I should know that one. Um, so yeah, you don't need to compile it either because um, all of the binaries are pre-built uh, on the uh, package repository for Python. Um, so it's just a pip install, and then you get everything. Uh, and also I've spent a huge amount of time on documentation. Um, so there's a lot of documentation around how to use it and tons and tons of examples. Um, right, so moving on to how the tutorial is going to go. So mainly in this tutorial, I'm going to be covering uh, the description language that Gridly uses. Um, the description language covers pretty much everything about how to build environments. Um, the description language is, is uh, written in YAML, uh, which is short for yet another markup language. Um, YAML is kind of like an industry standard language, so um, you can just plug it into your any IDE you have and get loads of syntax highlighting for things like that for free. Um, we have a JSON schema, uh, which basically means that uh, if you hook up your IDE with that JSON schema, and there's a document on how to do that on the uh, documentation website, um, then it will tell you, uh, it'll give you like suggestions for like things to, um, like if you if you spelt various parts of the YAML wrong and things like that, it will tell you um, you've made a mistake here. So it's really, really easy to work with. Uh, and makes it very easy to uh, know your mistakes if you've made any mistakes that are obvious in, in, the, in the description files. Also, because they're description files, it's just a text file. Um, if you make a level and you want other people to use it, you can just give them that file and it gives all the mechanics, all the levels, everything um, for other people to use in their research. So it's very easy to spread kind of like um, uh, benchmarks and stuff like that. It would just be a single file with all the levels and all the mechanics um, and all of the rendering information is just in a single place. Um, so in this tutorial, um, quickly go into how to set up the development environment, which is about four lines um, of just terminal code. Um, and then we'll go into how to actually create games. So I'm going to um, talk about single multi-agent and uh, an RTS game. Um, so the single agent game is going to be Sokoban, which is just, uh, I think everyone probably knows what Sokoban is at this point in time. Um, I'll go into it just in case you don't know. Um, and then there's a multi-agent game called Foragers, uh, which is, again, a very, very simple game, just like some little agents walking around, picking up stuff in an environment. Um, and then go, going more complicated than that um, is an, an RTS game that's similar to Micro RTS. Uh, but has a, a few extra mechanics and a few differences. Um, and then in each one of these environments, I'll, I'll share a brief bit of code, which has um, which uses uh, RLlib. So uh, Martin actually in the previous talk talked a lot about RLlib. So if you watch that talk, um, you'll be more familiar with uh, that part of the tutorial. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to quickly come out of this and share some PyCharm slides, not slides, some PyCharm. Um, so let me know if you can see this here. Someone just uh, open their mic and say, yeah, I can see it. That would be great. Yeah, you can see. Awesome. Also, if anyone says anything in chat, um, if someone could tell me, just point that out um, if there's any questions. So yeah, ask questions at any point in this. Like if there's, if there's anything um, you think, hey, can I implement this al algorithm or this mechanic in here? Just say that um, and I'll, I'll talk about it immediately. There's no kind of 
massive structure to this tutorial at all other than I'm going to show you like how these things uh, kind of gel together. Um, but yeah, it can be very freeform um, with people asking, hey, what if what if you change this value to this value? Uh, what happens? Okay, so Sokoban is, where's my image? I've got an image for it somewhere. In here. So Sokoban is uh, this game here. Um, this is a very kind of um, quite a cheap imitation of Sokoban in that it's incredibly easy here for um, incredibly easy for an agent to play this game because all of the uh, circles around the outside of the map are actually the, the goals and the agent is supposed to push the um, the boxes, those gray boxes into these goals and every time it gets a point. So this is a very, very easy level for Sokoban. Um, because they can push the boxes anywhere and practically they'll just go in the holes. Um, so usually you have much more complicated levels like uh, than this, which I can show you in a minute. Um, so in this game here, there are, you can see four objects, I think. So you've got walls, you've got holes, you've got um, the agent itself, the, the avatar of the agent, uh, and you've got these boxes here. So in uh, YAML files um, for GDY, which is Gridly Description, YAML. Um, there are three main kind of um, three main uh, headers, uh, which is objects, um, actions, uh, and environment. So I'll start off with objects um, because we we're just talking about them, and then I'll move on to actions, which are like the mechanics of the game. And then I'll talk about uh, the environment um, and how all those things kind of facilitate together when you uh, put it into a Python uh, when you run it. In Python, basically. Okay, so we'll start off with the um, the box because it's at the top of this list here. Um, so you give it a name, uh, you give it a map character, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, the Z index basically is um, so objects in the environment have their own Z index. By default, they're all on the same Z index. But if you have objects that need to move on top of each other, for example, in this game, the agent can move around on top of the holes. Um, then you set a different Z index for those things and the agent can then be on top of those. Um, so it kind of creates a, a Z index that you can't really see. Um, so in our box object, um, the only simple things we've got here is the box, um, the map character, uh, and then what's called observers. Um, so there are different ways of rendering um, things in Gridly, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, so there's Sprite 2D, Block 2D, uh, there's Vectorized, and there's also, um, uh, what's the other one? Isometric. Um, the, the RTS game will be isometric rendering, so we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, so in this one, um, Sprite 2D is basically just um, some images that I've taken from Gridly itself, um, and they're things like this. So that's the box, uh, that's the agent, that's the floor, that's the hole. And then the walls are all these kind of different uh, parts of walls that uh, when you put them all together, they look like actual walls around what's, what's happening in the environment. Um, so in this case, our sprite, um, it has one image and it's just that box. Um, Block2D will render basically the same thing, but it renders uh, just a shape and a color. So there are squares and triangles, there's colors, and then you can set the size of them. And so walls, uh, again, very simple. You have a wall, you have a character, and then you have um, your sprites. And so you have this special thing here called tiling mode, which will basically say, take these tiles and turn them into like a, a proper wall. These tiles have to be like 
ordered in the correct way. Um, but then instead of them being um, instead of them being kind of like in the wrong places, you see in this you've got corner tiles and you've got tiles going from left to right and tiles going from up to down. So it automatically works out how to tile um, just based on the level um, where all of the tiles themselves are just Ws uh, in the actual level uh, text here. So it will work out whether it needs to be an up-down tile or a left-right tile. Um, so we've got boxes, we've got walls. What else do we need? We need holes. So we've got our holes. You can see the Z index there is one because the avatar is two, so the avatar can walk on top of it. Uh, the map factor that is, is an H and you have an image and so on and so forth. I think you probably get the gist of this by now. Um, and then the avatar itself has the map character A and then it's just Think, telling the engine how to render it. So we've got our four objects there. Now, how do we actually define how these objects move around and how they interact and how we can actually build like a reinforcement learning environment out of this? Um, so the most simple um, action that this uh, agent has, the agent only has one action and the action is move. Um, so it can move up, down, left, right. Um, and each of the actions has a list of behaviors and the behaviors define what happens when uh, these actions are, are played out. So every single behavior has a source and a destination. The source is the, um, the source of the action. So for example, if the uh, avatar itself is moving um, and the destination is where that action uh, completes. So if the agent is moving to the left, um, the destination will be the box on the left. Uh, so in this uh, in this thing here, the source is the avatar, and we're saying the destination is underscore empty, which basically means it's an empty space. There's nothing there. Or if it's a hole, um, then it will play a command on the avatar object, which just means move the avatar. Uh, and underscore DEST here is um, just the destination of the action itself. So every action has a source, a destination, and the, um, the kind of vector between the source and the destination is defined by the action itself um, when you um, play it in, when you play through it in uh, like Python, for example, you'll say move up, move left, move down, move right. And that up, down, left, right is the vector between these two things. And then it'll work out what's in the position and then it will execute the commands. Um, so our second behavior is uh, boxes can move into empty spaces. So if for some reason a box moves, um, to uh, empty space, um, it will just, if, if a box uh, action, if the move action is applied to a box uh, and then that move action pushes the box into an empty space, then the command is that it will move to that space. So again, that's just boxes moving around. Um, then we have to actually define that the agent can push the box itself. So if an agent, um, moves onto the space that is occupied by a box currently, the move command will be applied to the avatar. So it will change its destination. Um, so the avatar will move to that spot. And then uh, this cascade command will be um, given, which basically says replay that command, but in the destination. So the box then also gets the move action to push it to the side as well. So that's just the mechanic for pushing boxes. Um, and then the final uh, action here is the um, if the box is moved onto a hole, uh, then the box gets removed. So this remove command happens on the box and it also gives a reward 
of one to um, whatever has caused that action. So in this case, it's the agent. So the agent gets a reward of one um, if it pushes the box into one of these holes. Um, so any questions about that? I'm not sure if I can see the questions. Maybe there. Where are they? Yeah, so no questions so far. Awesome. Um, so finally, we have the uh, environment. So in the environment, we have uh, just more kind of high level things about what the environment is, some a little bits of information about how to render it, for example, the tile size for sprites, um, what which one of the objects that's defined is actually the avatar object. Um, so this refers to the avatar, which is like the little knight. Um, also, uh, the termination conditions of the environment is when the box count is zero. Um, you can also do things here like um, set rewards for when uh, when the agent has won or lost, um, but I'll go into that uh, slightly later. So there's a chat, no questions. Okay, cool. Thanks, Connor. Um, right, so what does this look like um, and how do I actually use this description file and like um, how does that work with reinforcement learning? Um, so I'm going to probably cheat a little bit and assume that people have used uh, OpenAI Gym. Um, and that's basically the format that I'm using here. So these Gym wrappers set up like an environment and then they have a reset, they have a step, and then they have a render. They have a few other commands as well. But basically a step is step the action into the environment um, and then get your observations, your reward, um, is the environment done? And then any information that the environment provides. Uh, render does what it says on the tin, uh, another render. So in, in Gridly, you, could, you can set a global renderer, which is rendering the entire environment. And then you can have local renderers around the agents as well. So if the agents have partial observability, um, you can render those individually. I'll talk about that in the um, forages environment because that mechanic is set up there. Um, so quite simply, you set up a gym wrapper, you have your, um, your uh, you import your gym wrapper from Gridly and this GD thing, which just has a bunch of constants in it. Um, you say your YAML file is the Stockerband file. Um, GDY path and image path are just to um, say that the images that I'm using are from this path where this file is and the GDY file is in this file uh, directory as well. So if you have a repository of the images or something like that that you want to use, you can just set those directories there. And then I've set the global observer um, to the Sprite2D environment, uh, Sprite2D renderer. Which, so that basically tells Gridly to use uh, all of the things that are defined in Sprite2D. Um, so if you remember in these objects, uh, these Sprite2D things are just images. So it's saying render the whole thing with images. Um, so level zero is the level that this environment's going to start off with. And then we're just going to, it's going to sample random actions. Um, a thousand times and render every time. So if I just run that, and you should see some stuff come off my screen if uh, if this if this works. <laughs> okay, cool. So this is the the global observer, um, and this one here is a vector observer which I haven't defined yet. So if you don't define anything, you get a vector observer which is like a one hot representation of the entire state um, and in this case um, it renders it just as like some random colors pretty much um, and the global observer here is um is the sprite 2d as i've set here so if i wanted to render the local observation of that agent as um 
something else, for example, like the, the block um, the block observer, I can put player observer type equals type block 2D. So that's the other uh, renderer that I'm using in here, uh, which is defined in the GDY file. So this should just be like a bunch of shapes. And of course, I haven't set up something correctly in the block CD thing, so it didn't work. <laughs> Let's ignore that. Um, cool. So, yeah, so if you want to change the levels um, inside the environment here, um, I didn't talk too much about the levels here. Um, uh, so each of these levels is just defined by a string. Uh, it's the string based on what the characters are that you set in the objects here, so you can define whatever you want. Um, and then you just have a list of levels here um, to do uh, any kind of uh, levels you want. These levels here are all set from um, the uh, GVGI uh, implementation of Sokoban. So they're all the same uh, levels from, from those. So just sitting on level one. If, you, if you've used the Sokoban environment in a GVGI, you can probably recognize these levels. Awesome. Um, so the next, um, I was going to ask if anyone has any questions after that. Um, and then I'm going to move on to just kind of um, how you would interface this with RLO. So I'm not seeing any questions. So yeah, RLO. So if you've watched uh, Martin's uh, previous slides on this, uh, it's very simple. Um, RLib just comes with a bunch of stuff that automatically kind of gives you uh, all of this information. Um, RLib's like pretty well documented as well. Um, so there's plenty of stuff to, um, uh, to go through about how to work out uh, how many workers you need, how many environments you want to use. Um, and uh, Lucian um, has asked a question. More of a technical question, can't seem to install Gridly using PIP. Any tips? Um, I'm going to take that question offline because um, there could be many reasons for that, and I don't want to spend the tutorial debugging something. Um, I'm guessing maybe your Python version, it will only work with Python 3 to 8, uh, 3.6 to 3.8, so you need to make sure that you're on the right Python version. Um, that's, that's my best guess at this moment. Um, so, Inside RLlib, um, there's some agents that come naturally with Gridly. So there's a, a global average pooling agent, and there's a simple convolutional agent, and there's uh, the Impala CNN agent as well, uh, which if people are familiar with um, uh, reinforcement learning applications, then those are uh, really common to use ones. Um, so yeah, uh, you can just set your number of training steps, um, your configuration for training, um, so how many GPUs, how many uh, workers, how many environments per worker. Um, so this basically means that you're going to have eight processes and then there'll be eight uh, instances of Gridly uh, per eight, uh, each one of these. Um, there's a bunch of custom uh, like callbacks that are built uh, for Gridly uh, for doing videos, for doing uh, recording actions, for recording events, uh, all these kind of things um, that I won't go into, but um, they're all up in the documentation, which I'll talk about at the end. Um, and we also allow you to record uh, video using RLlib and we have integrations directly with uh, weights and biases. Um, so when you, um, 
when you record videos, they'll be directly uploaded to Weights and Biases. So you can uh, see uh, your agent training every kind of like 100 steps or uh, 200 steps or however many you want. Um, so the most important part of this RLL config is this end config here, which if you look at these um, parameters here, are exactly the same parameters that you use inside the gym wrapper here. Um, so essentially it just unwraps those parameters and sets up a gym wrapper uh, inside RL loop. So you can set the same things here that you do um, in here as well. And then you have your um, entropy coefficient schedule and learning rate schedules and, and other kind of RL lib centric things. Um, so I've not run RL lib on this MacBook that I'm using at the moment. So uh, I'm not sure if this is gonna immediately work, but let's have a go. Um, obviously it's not going to train anything because it's reinforcement learning and it's going to be super slow, but let's just see uh, if it if it doesn't complain. Anyway, we can we can come back to that. There's another question. Sure, sorry. Okay, not a question. <laughs> okay, so it appears to be appears to be running, or it's at least loading things. And of course it crashes, which is always what happens here. Okay, it's because I'm on a laptop and it says there's GPUs, but there's no GPU on my laptop, so that's why. Um, I'm sure if you run this at home with a GPU, um, or you can just set it to not have a GPU and it will, it will run. Um, cool, so Forager's game. Um, so the Forages game is a multi-agent game uh, where you have uh, every single agent here um, has to compete in collecting uh, potions here. Um, so I'm introducing some more mechanics here uh, in terms of each one of these um, each one of these uh, potions has a different value. Um, and another mechanic that I'm introducing here is the fact that all of these uh, all of these agents have partial observability, so they can only see a small space around them. Um, so there's two things there. One is that these potions have their inbuilt resources um, and there's partial observability. So partial observability in, uh, in Gridly is extremely easy. Um, all you need to do is add this observer um, thing here. And this basically says that for every player, um, there's four there's four players in each environment. The avatar is agent, so that's the same as what we had in the uh, single single agent environment. Um, and then we've got this extra thing here called observer, which is basically saying track the avatars, um, and then the height and the width of the observation around that avatar is uh, is five for both of those. You can also set the avatars offset. So if you want the uh, the avatar to be at the bottom or at the top of the observation space, you can just configure it with these offsets here. Um, so partial observability is super easy with Gridly as, as I just said there, but the um, potions have different values, which is uh, slightly more complicated, not much, but very slightly. Um, so as we have before, we have our objects in the objects part of the YAML here. So we have um, potion one, potion two and potion three. So start, starting with potion one, um, it has an, a variable um, which is fixed to that object. Um, so you can modify that variable with actions. Um, so this variable uh, for potion one has value and it has five. So this potion has a value of five. 
Potion two has a value of 10 and potion three has a value of uh, 20. Um, so, also I don't know which color they are um, because I've called them zero, one and two, um, but I think zero is red, uh, two is green, uh, three is, is blue. Right, so how do I actually use those potion values here? So let's look at our actions. So um, typically we have our, our move action, which is basically the agent, if it moves into empty, um, it has a destination which it moves it to. So we've set up a second action in here called gather. So gather in this uh, environment uh, basically says um, if the agent uh, performs a gather action on a potion that has uh, a value of a potion one, a potion two, or a potion three, um, it will decrease the value of the potion. Um, and if the potion has a value of zero, uh, then it will remove the potion um, and decrease this potion count, which I'll talk about in a second. Um, so basically you can, you can gather from a potion the number of times that that potion has a value. So it just counts down the, the potion value until it, it disappears and then it gets removed from the environment. So that, that action is applied to all three of the potions just by adding them as, as a list here. So you don't need to define it for each thing. Okay, so, um, and then the agent gets a reward every time it, um, every time it gets one of those, um, every time it collects something. So I was talking about this potion count thing here. So this potion count is to do with the end of the uh, level. So we wanna keep track of how many potions are in the environment because even though they're different objects, um, when all of the potions are gone, we wanna say the uh, environment is now complete, like the, we need to reset the environment. So in each of our objects, in our potions, uh, we define, we set this initial action here. So when this action runs, uh, it runs, uh, sorry, when every time that this potion is loaded into the environment, which is right at the beginning, um, then it runs this init potion action with an action ID of one. This is just because there's only one ID there. Um, so one is just uh, the, the value of the single action. The same thing happens for potion two. So this also runs init potion and potion three also in it runs init potion. So what does init potion do as an action? So in, in Gridly, um, you can define these internal actions, which are basically ways of producing like very complicated actions that you don't expose the, um, the UI, uh, you don't expose the end user to, but basically you can build internal kind of like, uh, like lists of commands um, and like delays and stuff like that which I'll talk about in the last, um, in the last environment. Um, so this init potion runs when every potion uh, comes into the environment every, um, every time it's initialized. Um, so I'm saying it's an internal action. So the, the, the agent can't run this action at all. Um, this can only be run internally by, by Gridly um, and other actions that are internal. Um, so the behavior here is if it's any of the three potions, we just increase the potion count. Um, destination here is just because um, the action one has no vector at all. So it just performs the action on itself. So this is basically saying I'm performing and it, like the potion one is performing its initial action on itself. Um, and then it increases its potion count here. So this is uh, another concept uh, to introduce here, which is the fact that you can have global variables in grid environments. This is basically just uh, in increasing a global count for the number of potions. Um, 
so the termination of the environment ends when the potion count is then zero. Um, so every time we uh, gather a potion, if its value is zero, it would decrease the potion count. Um, so at the end of every tick, um, this, um, this um, condition is checked here. And if this is equal to that, so if we have a potion count of zero, um, then the environment will end. Cool, so how does it look? Um, so again, we're, we have, um, we're setting the player observer type and the global observer type as sprites. And um, it's exactly the same format as, as the uh, single agent soccer band one. So you sample the action space, you pass it to the environment step, uh, and then you can render each of these. So there's a slight difference here that we're rendering uh, different observers. And we're, um, so for every player, we're rendering their observation space. And then we're going to render the global observation space as well. Um, so this is mostly used for debugging in, in um, unless you are doing like uh, reinforcement learning on the pixels themselves, this would be something that you would do. Uh, so let's have a look and see what this looks like. Okay, so it's opened lots of windows. Every single one of these environments is a different agent. Um, you can see that the agents are all highlighted in green if the observation is their, their own observation. And then you can see the global observation space over here of all of the different uh, agents with their, um, with their respective sort of random colors. Cool, so in that case there, um, there's a, something I want to try. I'm not sure if it's going to work. It should do. Um, if I change this to, actually, they don't rotate, so that doesn't matter. I can't show you that. Don't worry about it. It was, it was an idea that popped into my head. I was going to show um, that you can rotate the um, partial observable space as well. Um, so if the agents themselves rotate around, you can uh, have it tracking. Um, so it's an egocentric partial observability, which is used in things like Minigrid. Um, I do actually have loads of uh, levels that do that um, already inside Gridly, and I'll talk uh, uh, at the end uh, about the documentation. I can show you um, where, where you can find all of those. Um, cool. So any questions about that one um, before I go on to how it works with RLib? No questions so far? Good. Okay, so again, uh, the setup is exactly the same. Um, there's only some very small differences. So instead of using an RLib environment, you use an RLib multi-agent wrapper, which basically wraps the multi-agent gridly environment into a multi-agent RLib environment and handles all of that stuff for you. So each one of the agents is uh, handled by a simple convolution agent, which is just a, you know, it's like a stack of three convolutions and then uh, a flattened layer and then some linear layers for the um, for the uh, policy head and the um, value head. Um, so again, the same setup here, number of workers, number of environments per workers, uh, GPUs, video callbacks again, so you can record videos. Um, and that's basically it there because I've explained this before. So in Martin's uh, chat, in, in the previous one, he talked about um, using multi-agent, uh, like there's a multi-agent flag that you can use in RLib. 
which basically tells RLib how to define each of the agents, whether um, they are you know, controlled by the same policy or they have different policies and things like that. Um, so in this case here, I haven't defined that, but basically all that means is that it will use the same network for all of the agents. So this is a shared um, agent across uh, all of the, so it's a shared policy across all of the agents. So as this policy updates for one agent, it updates for all of them. Um, which I think is is the same as what Martin was doing. I'm, I'm not entirely sure um, how his setup was, um, whether it's using all of them at once or not. Um, so again, I don't have a GPU on this laptop. So um, this is set up to run as a GPU thing here. So I don't want to run it and then show everyone it crashing. Cool. Um, any, any questions about this? And I'll move on to the RTS style thing. I could talk probably a little bit more about the action spaces here, um, because for every, for each one of the, um, the soccer ban environment, um, for example, it has one action. Um, and that, there is a question. It's not a question. Okay. Um, so for the soccer ban environment, you have one action. Um, so Gridly internally will turn this into a discrete action space of just um, up, down, left, right, and then zero for um, for nothing, uh, for no op. Um, when you have a more complicated action space, um, for example, with um, with the Foragers game where you have move and you have gather, um, then what it will do, it will convert this into parameterized action space. So your first, your action will be a, a multi-discrete. So you'll, you'll have two discrete values for each action. One will be um, whether it's gather or move. And the next one will be what the um, uh, parameter of that is. So whether it's up, down, left, right. Um, if you saw my conditional action trees paper, uh, which I presented a couple of days ago, um, Gridly automatically um, puts everything into a tree action space um, because it's the most simple way of, of flattening out the action spaces to, to not be overcomplicated. Um, cool. So. I can probably show you uh, what that actual action space uses here if I just run this. And I'll show you what the actual sampled actions look like. So this just randomly samples an action that's valid within the action space. Um, so evaluate that. So it's sampling here for every single one of the agents. It's sampling uh, zero, which is move, and then a direction. So I think it's left is two, right is four, up is three. So this is just randomly sampling for each, every every single agent. So you, you send these, if you have multiple agents, it's just a list, um, which automatically gets converted in Gridly to run all of those at exactly the same time. Cool. So moving on to even more complicated. Um, so Gridly RTS is, um, this is actually an environment. So all of these environments are available, like in the documentation. We'll just try and open that and see, um, see what they look like in here. So, for example, in the single-player games, we've seen uh, the soccer band level, uh, which is this one, I think. Um, so all of the levels are described in the documentation. Uh, all of these examples are given uh, and a description of all the objects, the actions, and then a full YAML is given there. So. 
that's the first environment that we talked about. The second one is the forages environment, which is a multi-agent environment. So inside here. So we only looked at the first level, but there's actually a lot more complicated levels in here as well. So again, example code, um, a description of what every object means. Uh, also tells me what color they are, that's good. Um, a description of what the actions are uh, and their IDs. Uh, and also the YAML, the full YAML of the thing. So the final game uh, is this one here. So Gridly RTS. Um, so Gridly RTS is essentially like a small clone of micro RTS with slightly different mechanics. Um, but we can render it using uh, these kind of really cool isometric uh, maps like this. Um, and also the maps can be absolutely huge. Um, and you can do partial observability and you can do uh, all of those kind of previous things that we've talked about here. Um, the big difference with RTS games is that instead of having a single um, a single unit that you control, which is your avatar, which is in the previous games, both A agents are just controlling a single avatar. <coughs> in this case here, we're controlling multiple units. So the way that we do that is in the action space, you also have two new things, which is select, you select an X coordinate and a Y coordinate. Um, and then you and then you send the action to that coordinate rather than uh, selecting a specific agent. Um, okay, let's go into the YAML of uh, of that. So as you can guess, this is going to be significantly more complicated than before. Um, so let's kind of try and concentrate on um, like one thing at a time. So um, I've, I've made this level, basically, I've, I've cut this down um, so that we only have one level, which is very, very simple. Um, and I'll start with the most basic kind of uh, units that we have. So, um, so the most basic units that we have are minerals and workers. So minerals, um, like in the previous, um, like in the previous game, uh, where the potions had an initial value. Uh, so minerals have a number of resources. Um, and they have three isometric images, uh, which I'll talk about in a minute, because they, they animate, and you can use lists of images to make animations. Um, so we have minerals and workers. The workers have uh, an initial value of resources of zero. They have a health value, and they have a is busy value. So if they're like building something, or if they're harvesting, they actually have a um, like a durative action, um, which kind of stops them from doing anything else for that amount of time. Um, so let's look at the mechanics for minerals and workers. So workers, obviously, they can move around and they can gather minerals. So let's find those in here. So movement, uh, our move action is here. So we just need to find the workers. Object, 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 object. Okay, so the move action here uh, for the worker is this one here. Um, so this is when the move action is applied to the worker. It has this uh, thing called a precondition here, uh, which basically means if the workers is busy variable is zero, then it will do this action. Otherwise, that action is not allowed. Like you can't do it. It won't, won't result in anything at all. So this movement action is applied to workers, combats, and ranged. These are um, combat units and ranged units. Um, so again, you have this desk thing here to say if the worker is moved into an empty space, um, it will, the mechanic will put it into the space. Um, so that's movement of workers. 
Um, we also have this thing here um, for ranged things, which affects workers. Um, so this is saying that if a ranged, uh, if a ranged uh, unit um, moves into a worker unit, it will cascade that move action to this worker unit. So then this worker unit's move action will be executed. So basically what this means is that ranged units can push workers. They can like push them out of the way, um, which is quite a fun mechanic. Um, okay, so still on workers. What else can workers do? Workers can gather stuff. So the gather action is slightly complicated because it has some animation stuff in it as well. Um, so, I mean, all the, all the kind of main things are still here. It's, it's no different from before. There's just more of it. Um, so we're saying that a worker, if the worker has less than five resources, so we've got a less than uh, resources five. So the worker can only collect five resources at a time. And also it can't be busy. Um, and if the destination is minerals, it will decrease the value of the minerals. And then we have these less than and less than and equal here um, for the resource things. So if the resource has less than 10 uh, value, it will set the tile to one. If it has less than uh, five, it will set the tile to two. Um, and if it has zero, uh, it will remove the tile entirely. So basically these three tile types um, basically form like a little animation that when you have, uh, so mineral zero looks like this, minerals one looks like this, minerals two looks like this. So basically as it gets harvested, it changes to a like more harvested looking mineral. So you can have these interesting looking uh, kind of animations and stuff that you can define inside the GDY. Um, yeah, so I think that kind of gather, uh, gathers, that covers uh, workers and how they interact with minerals. Um, so we actually have another mechanic here uh, inside gather. Um, so if the worker isn't busy and has no resources, um, and it's near the base, and the base is the same player ID as itself, that's what this one means here, um, then it, it will decrease its own resources and increase the resources of the player. So this is basically saying, um, I'm picking up, uh, I'm sending my resources back to the, to the base. So the, uh, the um, units have to collect resources and bring them back to the base. And every time it does that, it gets a reward of one. Um, I think it also gets rewards for picking up minerals. Yeah, it does. So it increases its own internal resources and it gets rewarded one for that. Um, so this looks just kind of a lot like assembly language at the moment, um, but it's, you know, it's, it's very specific to grid worlds. Um, still no questions, that's good. Um, cool. Uh, so the player resources is very similar to what I was talking about before with the, um, uh, the variables here, which is um, the initial value of the player resources is zero. And then we have a per player variable, um, which is saying that every single player has this variable here. So I've noticed that I'm kind of running a bit low on time. So I'll quickly just, um, if anyone has any more questions at this point, just throw them in. Um, so there's win and lose conditions here. So basically if, if the base count goes to zero, so if the enemies destroy your base, um, you get a negative reward of 10 and the person who destroys your base gets a reward of 10. Um, 
So basically, it's a win condition um, if your base gets destroyed. Um, so in my readme, I have a GIF of that happening. So this animation here, if you can see it, is, is the Gridley RTS game. Um, so you can see these barracks things getting built here, which can then, um, I don't have time to go into the mechanics of those, but basically they're disabled for like a couple of seconds before they can be used. So they're in like a building state. Um, and essentially uh, they can build these combat workers and then these um, harvesters, you can see the mechanic for the tiles changing um, and the harvesters harvest stuff and then they bring it back to the base. And then you can see at the end that all of these, uh, the red players, eventually work out to go and destroy the opponent's base. Um, and this is using RLib and a couple of hours of training um, using conditional action trees as well. Um, yeah, so I think I've pretty much run out of time. Um, all of this stuff, like I said, is pretty well documented um, inside here. There's tons of examples. Um, all of the code for all of this is on GitHub. So every single example that I've showed you here, um, I think that basically you've got the basics of how the GDBAR files work and how you can try and understand what they're doing. Um, and hopefully go off and you know play around with it a bit, try and build some of your own mechanics, test around. There's a whole load more stuff that I couldn't go into today, like procedural content generation. Um, but this is kind of a primer of how, how complicated you can get um, using GDY. So you can go from everything from uh, single agent games that are super simple all the way up to defining your entire um, RTS game with mechanics resources, um, like you can you can build in um, what's it called, like uh, research trees and stuff like that by defining like uh, research variables uh, that are global to each player. Um, so you have this massively uh, flexible way of defining these very small games, uh, but then also like they can. Um, the good thing about Gridly is that all of these games are like extremely optimized because they're all they're all that all of that GDY gets kind of compiled into C++, um, which then runs these games at something like 70,000 frames per second. Um, so you have uh, reinforcement learning um, very efficiently on very complicated grid world games. Um, and also uh, there's a whole load of fun optimizations that go in there to make um, even things like very large grids uh, very efficient as well. So all the tricks from the gaming industry, like uh, using uh, spatial hashes and stuff like that to uh, to kind of um, handle distant collisions and things like that, are all are all in there. Um, so awesome! I think I think I'll leave it there. I think uh, I haven't blown anyone's mind a little bit too much with complicated YAML files. Um, but yeah, I have a Discord. I have uh, lots of documentation. As I said. If you want more information, uh, please jump into my, my Discord, which is posted on um, the Discord for the conference. Um, yeah, feel free to ask, ask any more questions or jump into the Discord and ask questions about why it doesn't work on various you, uh, various PCs. Thanks, awesome. a lot Thanks for very much. Great tutorial. Thanks a lot. Um, yeah, we have some time for if there are any more questions. Um, until the next one. Any questions on Discord or where is Discord somewhere?